Hey, I'm Ben Lisdis. And I'm Bill Thompson III from Birdwatcher's Digest. And we'd like to invite you to join us September 21 to 23 in Oaks, Pennsylvania for the American Birding Expo. The world of birding in one place. We hope to see you there. Learn more at birdingexpo.com. And join us there if you're an ABA member for the annual members meeting of the ABA on Saturday, the 22nd. Birding means adventure, and the American Birding Association and Rock Jumper Worldwide Birding Tours are at it again. In July of 2019, we will explore Colombia, the ultimate paradise for birders with almost 2,000 species, including more hummingbird species than any other country. We're excited to gather again to see our friends while also raising important funds for the ABA's conservation and community initiatives. Pre-register now for what is certain to be an amazing time. Tanagers, parrots, ant pittas, and the ABA family await you a short flight away. Get more information at aba.org slash travel. Hello and welcome to another episode of the American Burning Podcast from the American Burning Association. I am your host, Nate Swick, except I'm really sort of barely your host this time around, sort of a quasi-host, part-time host. Uh, As you listen to this, assuming that you have downloaded this episode on the day that it was released, I am actually in Cuba, or rather I am in the process of returning from Cuba from helping out on an ABA event there. So I'm recording this way in the past. So I suppose I I don't really know if I had a good time or not. I probably saw Cuban Trogan. I assume it was fantastic. Cuban Crow is really weird. I'm willing to bet I found its bizarre, uncrow-like voice delightful. I, I got a lot of great birds, but what I don't got is a lot of internet. So there is no rare bird focus this time around, being as that is the most time-sensitive part of this podcast. I will cover everything in the next episode, so in another two weeks' time. Uh, John tried to convince me to make some predictions about what might be around. I, I declined, but, you know, I'll bet a roseate spoonbill or two got to a weird place. You know, there might be a stint somewhere. Maybe something cool in the Bering Sea. I don't, I don't know. We'll catch up next time. In the meantime, you can always follow the ABA's Rare Bird Alert Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare, or you can go to the Twitter feed at ABA Bird Alert. Those will presumably, I don't know, I've been gone for two weeks. Uh, those will presumably be up to date. Anyway, what this also means is that I have tossed off hosting duties once again to ABA webmaster and raconteur Greg Nice. He will handle the interview duties for me this time around and he has brought in podcast staple and birding editor ted floyd and young birder liaison and general camp colorado do everythinger jenny duberstein to tackle the topic what is birding like so take it away greg well ted and i were talking about analogies for birding and we we didn't really have a good reason for talking about this i don't think ted we weren't like writing a working on a magazine article or anything at all that I remember, but it got kind of interesting. So I thought we might talk about it a little bit and Jenny talk about it with you. And uh, I thought possibly because you work with so many kids that you might have some insight that we don't. The question or the topic is birding is like blank thinking about similes and what's the word that I'm not coming up with right now? Metaphors. Metaphors. Thank you. Okay. I'll start with this. 
part of the reason I thought of this idea uh, or came up with this idea was that my wife, who is a professional shopper and not the sense of not the type of shopper who goes shopping for people who can't do it themselves, but she works in the advertising industry and she has to find props and things for photo shoots. So she's out hunting for specific items and you can see how maybe this is starting to sound a little bit like birding, but she went out hunting down some props uh, a couple of weeks ago and had various amounts of success. And when she get, when she got back home and was describing what happened, it sounded to me like a day of birding, you know, where you go to one habitat and you look for something and it's not there. So you try somewhere else. <laughs> I'd never thought of birding like shopping. You've, you've rendered me speechless. Greg. <laughs> I was like, I thought I lost you guys there for a minute. <laughs> I'm, I'm pondering the consequences of the, uh, well, no, I mean, you know, she went, she went to one store, which I, you know, was kind of like a habitat and she looked for the thing that should have been there and it wasn't there. So, you know, that happens. You go to another one and you try some, you know, go to a different marsh and try again for Sora, which should be there, but you might not get it. It's funny. While I was grasping for a response there, Greg, I was thinking about how many, <laughs> many eBird checklists she would have to, uh, uh, you know, stationary. I guess they would be stationary. Maybe not stationary. Tra- traveling eBird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, would be a result of, of that activity. Yeah, you know, it just goes to show that uh, we can compare birding or perhaps anything to, uh, to all sorts of uh, different possibilities that don't leap to mind. Because, again, I had never really thought of a, a comparison between birding and shopping. I hadn't either. I said until she uh, until she explained how her day went. You know, one that that's frequently given is golf. People compare birding to golf, which I don't get at all. I don't think birding and golf are anything alike. And Jenny, you know, feel free to just jump in here anytime you want. Yeah, I want to jump back to that shopping comparison because the way that you were describing it made me realize that it, it depends on how you look at birding. So if you go out birding with a particular target, where you're trying to see a particular species or group of species, then that that comparison works really well. But if you go out birding the way I do, which is often, you know, just to enjoy the outdoors and to see whatever species I happen to see, um, it could also be like shopping, but maybe it's more like shopping because you enjoy shopping and not because you necessarily need anything. You just kind of go into the store and wander around and see if something strikes your fancy. Um, and then when the cashier asks you if you found everything you were looking for, you sort of say, well, I wasn't looking for anything, but I found stuff anyway. I see. You're going to go all holistic granola cruncher on us. Well, you know, that's me. <laughs> no, no, but that's no, that, that's no, that's awesome. Hey, uh, Greg, can I let you all in on a, a dirty secret? I think Jenny and I have. I don't think we have any choice, chance of stopping you. you. No ch- <laughs> you're absolutely right. So uh, Birding Magazine has um, assiduously avoided use of the word target uh, for years now. Uh, we can use words like, uh, well, I don't know, desiderata. I wouldn't favor that word. Or uh, I want to just something we're looking for or questing after. But the, uh, the idea of a target to me is so uh, such a commodity. It's really sort of, I, I think it conveys, in my opinion, you know, this is my, my, own, my own idea here, sort of the wrong idea about why we go birding. So uh, if you look hard in birding since, oh, actually probably more than close to 10 years now, I don't think you'll find the word target anywhere in that journal. I, I do like everybody else. Like, I go out birding and do exactly what you described. Just go out to see what we find. You do that a lot. But I think, you know, in the back of my head, I've always got, I guess I'll, I'll call it, I'll use the word target here again. 
I've always got, you know, when you're in a certain type of habitat, you kind of expect to find certain things. So I'm always, I'm, I'm always thinking about that when I'm birding. I think you're right. And I think that that's, you know, that's one of the things that, that you teach beginning birders, especially that it's important to understand what are the common things that you might see here so that you're more likely to recognize them when you're there, or you're more likely to recognize something unusual when it pops up. I think that this shopping metaphor actually works pretty well. <laughs> well, I mean, I, and I do, well, and I do more big days, I think, than anybody on antiquing. There you go. There you go. You're not, you're, you're, you're not going to take everything home with you. You're just. <laughs> <laughs> something rare might show up, like in a bunch of, in a pile of garbage, like a dump. Exactly. <laughs> or a wastewater treatment pond. <laughs> you never know. Well, I mean, that, I mean, going to wastewater treatment ponds, that's a great, that's a great example right there. Nobody goes to a wastewater treatment pond just because I want to, you know, just spend a lovely afternoon outside. You know, you go there to look for shorebirds. You have, you have a target in mind and it may be an extremely enjoyable time, but you know, you're not standing around there the way you would in the woods and looking at everything else. Not inspired by the, the beauty of nature at the, the, the dump or the pond. Yeah. Right. I mean, unless, unless you find, unless you find a female Wilson's phalarope or something else that's beautiful like that, that just makes the whole background situation disappear. Right. Hey, here's an example, if you don't mind of, of why I think that both shopping and golf fall short. And, uh, this happened to me, uh, just earlier today, I, uh, I woke up in the, the middle of the night about 12 hours ago. It's about 2.30 my time now. And I was wide awake and just went out on the back porch and listened to birds flying over and had a, actually a really nice time out there in the back porch listening to birds fly over. It was dark, so I couldn't see anything. I um, won't tell you about my state of dress or, or lack thereof. I didn't have any gear with me, but I was very much birding. I, I wasn't in a store I wasn't on a golf course. I had no equipment with me. I was barely awake and barely legal. And I, I would say I was very much birding. So the idea that you can sort of go birding anytime, anywhere, under any circumstances, regardless of how much or how little gear you have, I think is, is something that uh, makes birding really valuable to me. You can bird in the middle of the ocean. You can bird. Um, well, I know somebody who birds from a maximum security prison. He's there for life. I know people who can bird who can't see. I know people who can bird, who can't move their legs. Um, there's something about birding that can just be done anywhere, anytime by, by anybody. And, and that's why the comparison with definitely golf, and I would say shopping as well, don't really do it for me. Well, you know, I, I think that if, you know, just to go back to your, your experience at 2.30 in the morning with whatever amount of clothing <laughs> you may have had on and, and what other, whatever state of mind that you may have been in, I think that if you went to your local Walmart at two thirty in the morning, you might I've done find, that too. By the way, you Greg, might find yes. that that describes most people there. Yep, fair enough. But you know, what I mean, though, you do you still have to find your way to the Walmart, and if you are in jail or on the open ocean, you're not going to be able to do that. You know, our uh, one of our our uh, little logo catchphrases is um, a million ways to bird, and there are. I mean, you're you know, as we're discussing here, there are a million ways to bird you can well we've got the the big sit is coming up in october and every if you've never done a big sit and i'm sure you have ted have you well no i'm not sure i haven't participated in, in the capital b big sit but i have done big sits i have i have participated in the big sit and enjoy it 
do you guys do a big sit at uh, uh, the, during the camps? No, we don't. It might be a useful exercise to have teenagers sit in one place for an entire day. It might be a terrible exercise. <laughs> Camp would need to be a little bit longer for me to sacrifice a whole day to sitting yeah. in one place. But but it is it is it is a lot of fun. Actually, I mean it it you know it doesn't sound like it until you do it, but it is a lot of fun. And playing playing with the rules, which are really as they should be, very loose and loosey goosey. Um, but playing with the rules on a big sit is a lot of fun. How do you mean playing with the rules? In terms of what you can count and what you can't count? Well, exactly. I mean, it's all about counting species and having fun. You know, like uh, Bill Thompson says, you know, it's it's kind of like tailgating for birders. But you can have people out operating beyond your circle, feeding you information from that point. And if you can see or hear the bird from within the circle, you can count it. You know, we've, we've done that. Uh, there was one instance last year at last year's big sit where we had somebody who was seriously, I'm going to say a thousand, 1500 feet down a trail who pointed into a, uh, a bunch of scrub pointing out a Lincoln sparrow. And after about 10 minutes of very carefully scoping that scrub, we could pick it out. <laughs> But there's no way we would have ever seen the bird without the person a thousand feet down the trail. Right. I was talking to Michael O'Brien this summer about um, yard listing rules. We were yeah. we were uh, in Portal, Arizona, and there's State Line Road, the very famous State Line Road, where if you look one direction, you're birding in New Mexico, and if you look the other direction, you're birding in Arizona. And I was just sort of pondering why the the rules for yard birding or for your yard list would be different than, you know, when you're putting something on your list, does it matter where the bird was or where you were? And they are exactly the opposite. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was precisely my dilemma. Um, but he was just explaining his, his yard listing rules that either the person making the observation or the bird has to have contact with the yard. Oh, oh, that's no, f- Clear that's no fun. <laughs> My yard list just dropped by 90%. I have counted about, we said either the person involved or the bird has to have contact with the yard. Right. Or fly over it directly. Right. So I've certainly counted birds that I can see from my yard that are not flying over my yard, but are flying over somebody else's yard. But that counts because you're in your yard. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Well, then, all right, well, then it drops by a couple because my bald eagle, um, I was actually out in the alley and it flew directly over my yard. <laughs> but then the bird had more or less contact with your yard if it flew over yeah. your yard, so I think it still works. I suppose. Okay. Okay. <laughs> At least my interpretation of, of his yard listing rules. So, so Greg, I, I have to say, ba- based on the conversation I just overheard um, between the two of you, I, f- I figured it out. Birding is like a discussion in a seminary basement, a theological seminary basement. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was amazing to, to hear the, uh, seriously, the almost sort of the, the theological um, overtones there. You know, you have to have contact with or not. Con- I didn't follow it all there, but uh, yes, it can get very uh, theological uh, in, uh, just uh, very, very quickly. It's funny to hear that. Um, I, and I, I do know that the, uh, the eBird standard, which is pretty well articulated is that all that matters is where you are. Um, so if you're in Arizona and you see a bird in New Mexico, even though a lot of people resist this, 
the bird is where you are, not where the bird is. Right. Which that flummoxes and that's, some people. Yeah, it, it flummoxes me, and we can argue about that until the chickens <laughs> come home. Um, <laughs> all right, so back back on to um, birding is like. I know, Ted, you you said earlier on today that what we had discussed a little bit, you have completely changed your mind. And we haven't, and Jenny, actually, let's back up a second. Jenny, haven't really, you've kind of agreed with what we're talking about. Have you, what do you think? Well, I've, I've been, I don't know, I have a notebook in front of me and I've been sort of jotting down some ideas. And I feel like most of the things that I think of, there are things in my life that I say, oh, this is like birding and snorkeling is one of those things that it occurs to me when I'm snorkeling that it's like birding, except for you get to swim also. Um, but the things on my list that, that I've, I've been able to come up with, I have a hard time thinking of what's like birding. I don't know. There's nothing else out there that I enjoy as much as I enjoy birding or that I enjoy in the same way that I enjoy birding. So I'm actually kind of struggling to come up with good, good comparisons, but you know, the collection of things, collecting stamps or baseball cards or something like that, where, you're not never quite sure what you're going to get. And uh, there are certain things that are rare and exciting to find and um, that maybe you'd pay more money to have in your life. That occurs to me. Um, just a scavenger hunt of going out there and looking for maybe specific things or looking for things to put on a list. Um, and then kind of the, the video game uh, comparison also, you know, where you're, you're, or any, I guess not just video games, but a sport or anything like that, where you're building skill. And as your skill level increases, you know, you kind of go up in levels and more opportunities become open to you. The more you build your skills, things like that. Those all occurred to me. Hey, you know, this, and, and Ted and I have talked um, at length and, and written at length as well about how digital photography is changing birding. And, um, you know, now, most birders, when they go out in the field, they come home with trophies. Definitely. I don't know. If, I don't think trophies is the right word. Um, wordsmith, Ted, jump back in here. What's the right word for this? Well, I know where you're going with it. I actually don't really see it that way. I mean, yeah, there, there's the idea that there's something has been accomplished. Something well, documentation. Been it's, a, it's a takeaway. It's a take home. I, I guess so. Um, although, on the other hand, I can certainly tell you that there are experiences like the one this morning where there was no trophy. There was just just a memory, just a feeling just an experience. I actually would be uh, distressed if, uh, if I measured birding only in terms of the, uh, and I, I know you're using it sort of as a cliche, but it, birding only as a trophy. I think that the, uh, the times that we spend out there um, <laughs> shopping, if you will, but not buying anything, you know, just, just browsing or just looking are, are very valuable to me. Greg, can I actually back up though to uh, an idea that I feel we haven't fully Absolutely. explored yet? So it, it goes back to this idea of uh, golf or, or shopping sort of this, and my, idea, I guess my insistence about the um, sort of this totality of birding that it's something that just we're doing all the time. Uh, over the weekend, my son and I were driving up into the Rocky Mountains and um, we were actually not talking about birding, but we were talking about mountain biking, which is his great passion. And he was, uh, he assured me that he can go mountain biking anywhere. And I said, well, that, that's, that's absurd. You know, how could you go mountain biking over there? And I just, I pointed to a, a place that just looked really not suited to mountain biking. He said, well, look, there's a, there's a shovel over there in a pile of dirt. And I said, well, so what? 
he said, well, if you let me out here, I would uh, get that shovel and, and, and go build a jump for the, for the, for the next mountain biker. And I said, that's mountain biking. I mean, you would know you have your bike. And he said, it doesn't matter. You know, I'd be, I'd be building a jump. And then he told me about a an experience he had had just very recently where he was in a, um, I guess like a garage or a mechanic shop. And he was just so excited to see a, a new wrench and a new kind of grease and, to him, even though there was not a bicycle anywhere, this was part of the experience. So it's something that sort of consumes him from you know his first waking hours to going to bed. And he says he even dreams about mountain biking. And that, so I'm not going to say that birding is that mountain biking, but that sort of totality of the experience for him, you know, that you can go mountain biking with a shovel or with a wrench or while you're dreaming, it gets at this idea that uh, birding is just something that we can do whenever and, and wherever. So that, I'm, I'm starting to repeat myself. Or lying, now, but or they, lying they, on a porch in the middle of the night with a little handheld recorder. Sure, except I didn't have that recorder. Oh, that's unusual. <laughs> just, you usually do. That's right, yeah. But, but it, it was an interesting point he made that even though he wouldn't have had a bicycle with him, you know, give him a shovel and a pile of dirt or wrench and a, and a you know, a, a swab of grease and, and that's sort of like mountain biking for him. So the idea of, of bird watching is something that we can just plug into and do whenever we want to is a pretty important, important part of what birding is for me. And it's, as you say, use the, use the word, I think totalitarian or. Uh, no, no, totality, totality not totalitarian. Totality. <laughs> yes. Wholeness, completeness. Yes, I, right. right? No, yeah. 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 And, and Jenny, I think you were kind of early on saying the same thing where it's just, it's such a big part of your life. Yeah, exactly. No, that it's just, I, I, I really do have, I can, hearing you describe your son's connection to mountain biking, I can see where other people feel similarly to th the way that I feel about birding, but I have a hard time thinking about something else in my life that, that gives me that same amount of pleasure and enjoyment and sense of accomplishment and connection with the natural world and connection with other people. And I'm struggling to, to come up with something to, that, adequately matches the way that that birding brings that into my life and and you know we tend to strategize our birding too i mean it's there is you just go out into the park to see what you can see but i think to a certain degree even if you don't realize it you know you're you're going out at a certain amount of time and you have a, a certain time of year and you have ideas of what you might find at that time of year and you kind of strategize you know you yeah, you know, we have lakefront parks here in Chicago, and this morning we had east winds coming off of Lake Michigan, and so birders were out on the on the on the beaches hoping to get some shorebirds blown in. So we're always kind of thinking about that that kind of thing. I absolutely get that. You know that you know you can really maximize your chances of finding. I don't want to say just a rare bird, but you know an interesting phenomenon or a significant flight or something. Uh, by, you know, in the case of winds and, uh, and weather in Chicago, you know, going out to the lakefront beaches at the right time. Um, that, that's, that's great. And, and I do a fair bit of that myself. I, I'm also just struck by how much of birding is so um, spontaneous, uh, unplanned, you know, unrehearsed. <laughs> you know, I'll find myself at a, a soccer match, which happens all the time, <laughs> or, or driving kids to school, or is killing time in between errands or riding a bus. And really, that's where I do an awful lot of, of my birding. And it sort of catches catch-can, you just make do. And I think some of my most, uh, I don't maybe not my rarest birds or my, you know, my most notable sightings, but I think sort of the, the insights that are most valuable to me and sort of the, uh, 
the little breakthroughs that I have come in those uh, outside the box moments. So yes, I get the idea of being strategic about birding, but if I think we did a time budget of the birding that I do, an awful lot of it is is actually sort of the opposite. It's uh, just doing what I can do when I do it. I have just a, another way of looking at it. And that, and that's, I, I think that speaks to what we were talking about um, before we started recording as well. We, uh, you had mentioned that you, you can't turn it off. And Jenny, I think you were saying kind of the same thing. Is definitely, definitely. And there are, there are times when, um, not all the time, and anybody who has ever been birding with me knows that I am not a lister. I have no idea how many species are on my life list. I, I don't, I'm not into that component of birding. But at the same time, I absolutely sometimes go out and play games with myself, you know, where I have my local patch and I'm just curious to see, you know, I'll watch the number of species that I get there because I do eBird. I keep track of the species that I see. I just don't really pay that much attention to the totals. And so I play a little game. Let's see if I can see more species this week than last week, or just to sort of watch things ramp up through migration and then drop back down after migration happens. And so I think that there's something to be said for the, at some points at least, for the comparison of birding to, to some kind of game that you play. That also, at, at the same time, it's challenging your skills. Because you're working on the same playing field over and over again. The situation is changing and, you know, you you learn the regulars and then, you know, as much of it is picking out what's not regular and zoning, uh, you know, getting really focused on that. Well, no, I was just going to say that. And even, you know, from year to year, you start to remember, oh, it was right around this time last year that such and such species or this group of species started to show up. I wonder, you know, you kind of get into the phenology side of it and when are things going to start to appear? And is it the same as last year or different than last year? And um, it's just sort of a fun mental game to play with myself. Sorry, I was just going to offer another probably... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not not totally a properly assimilated joke here. Uh, earlier, I said that birding is a l- little bit like a theological discussion. I- I'm also going to say, at least listening to the three of us, that birding sounds a little bit like a chronic disease. And, and but, but, but but however <laughs> however you know I, I want to be really clear that you know I'm speaking on behalf of myself here. And I th- think probably sort of on behalf of you and Jenny as well that that you don't have to. And I, I don't want to get this. I don't want to convey this idea at all. You know, sort of be the sort of person who almost sort of borderline obsessively is just always thinking about and and doing birding. Um, my guess is that a great many people aren't that way at all. And uh, you know, there are those who do a very good job of compartmentalizing the different things in their lives. I'm not good at that, but but others, uh, either by uh, sort of nature and disposition or by training and discipline, are. So I, I don't want to. Um, come across as sort of, uh, you know, I know, judging or off-putting toward people who, you know, by golly, they, they do their, you know, weekend birding or their work, uh, birding before work or school in the morning, and then they go into a very, very different mode. Um, it, that's, that's neither here nor there. That's, that's, that's who they are, and, and, and this is who I am. So just want to be clear that I'm speaking on behalf of myself, <laughs> and I don't mean to, I don't mean to imply that. Um, and I know, and I know people like that as well, who, you know, the, the only time they go out birding f- for real is during spring migration because they want to see colorful warblers and tanagers and things. And the rest of the year, it's just really, they just really don't do very much. But one thing that, that I, <laughs> if you follow me on Facebook, <clears throat> um, <laughs> one of the things you'll know is that I live across the street from a brewery that makes really, really good beer. And I have through 
hanging out there. The guys that own it are good friends of mine. But there is a beer culture that I had no idea existed that is also very similar to birding, where they have field guides and they they have notebooks and apps and people like I've been sitting there where somebody comes in and they said, Oh, we were just driving down the street and we saw the sign. So we had to stop and try your beer. So they'll try a flight and then take notes down in an app and get this like beer passport stamped. <laughs> That's like, I had no idea that well, stuff and was going on. Overlap in the birding world, because I know more than a handful, more than two handfuls of birders, probably more than five or six handfuls of birders that are way into that. <laughs> and keep track of all their beers. <laughs> yeah. Greg, I had occasion just uh, this morning to, uh, I had to look for something on the Scott and Nick's website and uh, Scott and Nick's, as you probably know, put out the uh, ABA state guide. So there are books to uh, uh, New York and Colorado and Arizona and elsewhere. But anyhow, I, I didn't get to the page I wanted. I, I found that they're doing a field guide to whiskey. I saw that too. I saw that too. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think we're going to um, all head to the bar. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, hey, thank you guys. Thank you guys for uh, this rambling discussion about nothing. This was kind of the Seinfeld episode of the ABA uh, podcast. That's been fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting all right. me. All right. See you later. Bye. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast or any of the free resources the ABA provides to birders in North America and beyond, the best way to support it is to become a member. In addition to helping us out, helping me out, you get Birding and Birders Guide magazine, uh, plus discounts to our partners like Video Books, and you can join us for ABA events. You can learn more at aba.org slash join. If you're feeling really helpful, you can also go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or review. Your ratings and reviews help other people find us and help get our name out there. We certainly appreciate if you do that. Thank you in advance. Executive producer of the ABA podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. He compares being president of the ABA to captaining the Titanic. Not for the reason you think, but because it means you're captain of a listing ship. Technical production is by John Lowry. He compares birding to researching an expose on unfair sentencing and the criminal justice system because you're always seeking out lifers. Additional technical help comes from David Hartley and Greg Neese. They told me birding is like waiting in an airport for a delayed plane and that you are spending an inordinate amount of time listening for flight calls. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, and on Twitter at ABA. You know, we have always said that birding is like touring Prague with one of those Fodor's travel guidebooks, and then it's all in service of a checklist. Questions and comments can come to me at podcast.ava.org. Thanks for covering for me, Greg. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next time.